I'm wrestling, you're not weak for me. Celebrate what I am. Celebrate what I have been. Celebrate what I represent. And celebrate the many ways I have impacted your life. I will survive this test as I have survived others. I am forever etched into the very fiber of all mankind. The world needs me. Time is on my side. History guarantees me. I am wrestling. Do not wait for me. What's up, everybody? This is Ben Askren, and you are listening to episode number 29 of the T-Row and Funky Show, brought to you, as always, by Defense Soap. Defend what you have built. And I am joined, as always, by my main man, Tommy Rollins. Tommy, what's going on, man? Nothing much, my brother. Just got back from my daughter's uh, softball game, doubleheader. Thanks for taking the late the late podcast tonight. I appreciate that. And... Uh... You know, we're in Ohio. The Cavs are down two nothing, so we're trying to unite here. Well, you know, I am. Uh, I'm actually doing this podcast in a special location. I am sitting out by my fire right now. Um, Dude, that's awesome, I, I, and I love it. And my, I drive my wife crazy because I ask her to come out to the fire with me like every night, and she's like, "Do you want to have a fire again?" I'm like, "Yes, I do." <laughs> my then, wife is the same way. <laughs> <laughs> so, some people love sitting on the beach, but. Uh, you give me like a moderate temperature and a bonfire, and I'm as happy as I can be. I completely agree. You know, we should have an episode about that. <laughs> we, <laughs> we really could. So I just, you know, I got a something nice- about a man and a fire. It's just it, very relaxing, isn't it? It is. It's so nice. Um, and you know, I have a problem. Right before I jumped on this podcast, I came out here to get set up, and I realized, literally, Tommy, one foot from my fire pit. And now, listen, I have a I have a fenced-in backyard. And I have a 100-pound Mastiff. These dumb bunnies, they put their babies in a hole next to the fire. What are they thinking? <laughs> Crazy, man. Seriously. I, I just don't, I don't even know what to do. We, we, when we moved to our you got house, a bunch of bunny babies? Yeah, but so, okay, so last year we moved in, and, and the yard wasn't done at all. Um, you know, the yard was rough, so we had to redo it, and there was a bunny nest. But we figured, mm-hmm. well, it's a freaking jungle back here. So next year right. they won't do it. They do it again. How am I to keep my damn hundred pound dog away from these bunny babies for a month? I mean, for God's sakes! Wow. I know, right? Ser- serious issues. <laughs> so you're you're in camp season right now. You're on the camp grind. Uh, not started no, yet? We got uh, so Wisconsin gets out of school late. Wisconsin kids start school generally speaking right after Labor Day. So they go into almost into mid June. Most of the kids are getting out of school right about now. Um, so our camp season will start next Thursday would be our first day of camp. So we're excited. Uh, Kicking butt. We have 14 camps all in Wisconsin. They sold um, out? Right now we have 10 sold out, and we have one or two more about to sell out. And so Jeez. You know, yeah, it's good. We try to keep What's them, your capacity? Well, they're, they're all different depending on where we're hosting it at, but we try to keep them small enough so that they can be personal. We want the kids to have a great experience. We don't want to... You know, Max and I growing up, we never liked those camps that were so huge that you were just a, just a number, you know. So right, um, right. besides our team camp, our team camp would be our one big camp. Um, uh-huh. but obviously, you can't have a team camp that's not big. That's impossible. Uh-huh. Um, so besides that, our biggest camp is 60, but most of them are around 35 to 40 uh, maximum participants. And are you and Max on site, or do you guys kind of rotate sessions? Or yeah, uh, for for most of them, we're on site. Obviously, it's uh, it's hard to get to all of them, especially some weeks they're they're kind of on top of each other. So uh, Max, I, and then our other main AWA coach, John Messimerink, who was Max and I's high school coach. Uh, one of us three will be at every camp. Uh, and then you have counselors and what have you, and all yep. that good stuff. So we got a few other AWA Dude, that's, employees. So you got you got a few counselors. Yeah. D1 All Americans as counselors, UMAX and Coach Messenbrink as the you know the featured clinicians and the guys kind of running the show. Yeah. And it's only thirty five kids. So most of them are, are yeah right around thirty five for a cap. Uh, a few more at fifty, and then there's the one big team camp. Well, that wasn't a shameless plug by you. I just want our viewers to know that was from me, and I actually was interested in your business ah, model. So that's pretty well, cool. Tommy, it's only a few years, and you'll be sending your little rugrats up here. To, uh, yeah, Tommy, Tommy Jr. is six. So, so when do you think it's appropriate for me to send my son to your camp? Uh, He's six now. Yeah, well, our camps, our, our youth camps 
our second through eighth grade, and obviously they're they're pretty low key. And then our all, all of our other camps are fifth through twelfth grade. So you know we're not huge on the on the starting them real young or, or pushing them young. We really think that you know if you can build that passion in them, middle schools young enough to start really pushing forward. Um, so yeah, but obviously we, we we like getting the little ones on the mat, teaching them a few things, having fun with them, getting to them enjoy it. That's awesome. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll probably come up there, do a little daddy week or something, and go. hang out in a couple years. Yeah, we don't have the fa- father son camp yet. We've we've been talking about hosting that. Tommy, how scary would it be if you showed up at a father son camp and had to wrestle some of the other dads? I'd <laughs> be like, this is not what I paid for. I did not pay for this. Damn it. What if Mako brought his son up oh, and it was just a all out, you know, <laughs> go round? <laughs> What's that? Was that round number nineteen or round twenty or what would that be? Round nineteen, and then we can start round one with our my sons and his. Oh, are, are you guys? Are they the same age? I don't know. I know he's got a ton of kids like me. I just don't know the ages and if the yeah. boys and girls and what age, you know, all that stuff. I so. know. I know his first one was a son. So uh, you know, I don't know what he had after that. Right. Right. We'll have to find out. Yeah. So hey, I know. I know we want to talk about. Uh, you know the the business of starting a professional wrestling league. I want that wants, that's gonna be our main topic on the show. I do want to hit, and it, you know, if you want me to just talk about it, I was in Akron, Ohio, at the Cadet and Junior. Uh, no, we can uh, touch sorry. on it. I, th- I think the business of professional wrestling is is definitely the the meat of what we're gonna talk about today. But we should hit hit some stuff since we haven't been on for two weeks. Yeah. So it's it's been a while since I've been to this tournament, the Cadet and Universities. Something I attended um, as a cadet for four years because they changed the age bracket while I was in it. And then uh-huh. also uh, as a university, and I, I never freaking won it, Tommy. I took fourth, then third, then second, then I was hurt, and then I was focused on senior level activities. So I never won the university nationals. That kind of haunts me when I think about <laughs> it. Like, That's like me with the Lockhaven tournament. I went there 12 times as a kid and never won it. Snap. <laughs> Snaps me this day. I lost to people. I mean, I lost to Robbie Waller in the finals of that. I lost to Damian Hahn in the finals of that. It's a tough tournament. Well, is it the, is that the Matt Town or what is that? Matt, uh, you know, they call it Matt Town USA, but it's just the Lock Haven tournament. It's usually in October. Okay. Went there 12 years. <laughs> never, never won it. Didn't mean to steal your thunder, by the way, Ben. Uh, in my funny. senior year of high school, uh, my dad's like, you want to go to the Lock Haven tournament? You never won it. Let's just go. You can win it and we can go home. And I had been on all my college visits, like, I don't want to go, Dad. And now I'm 35 years old, and I'm like, man, I wish I could would have gone my senior year just to say I won the Lock Haven oh, tournament. Oh, my gosh. That is, that, that's a story there. Anyway, so you never won universities. Never. So back to you. And I, ne- I never won cadets, but I wasn't good in that in that age group, you know, so uh, I don't really <laughs> regret that by any means. Um, yeah, so the universities was – it was fun, but I spent most of my time as a cadet. We had some AWA wrestlers down there. Awesome. How did you guys yeah. hold up? Well, we, we got one placer. Jacob Roshka took third. But, man, Tommy, I forgot how good that tournament is. It's freaking – damn, it's a grind. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, you know, obviously, so you know, instead of Fargo, they have a 3-8. So it's 15, 16, and 17-year-olds. And then the weights are farther spread apart. You know, you go 110, 119, 128, 138, 152. And so there's, there's not as many weight classes. So you've got all these just super studs jammed into uh you know into fewer weight classes the competition was it was awesome that's insane that sounds cool so um so you had one guy place how big were the brackets uh you know generally i think most of them were uh 40s 50s 60s the the universities were huge i mean the university i think almost every single university bracket was above 64 people so um you know that that was huge, I, and I don't remember the universities being that big. I remember having some big brackets, but um, it was huge. And so, you know, on the cadet end, there there was a few brackets that really stood out. I know one nineteen had three Fargo champs: uh, Jordan Decatur, Real Woods, and Roman Bravo Young. And then one eighty seven had three Fargo champs, which was Jacob Roshka, my guy, uh, Jacob Warner, and then uh, Jacob Boyd from Missouri. So. I mean, think about it. Three Fargo champs in one bracket. It's freaking, um, man, it was, it was a grind. Insane. Yeah. Insane. So they had that Roman Bravo young kid, he was, he was impressive. He won the bracket. Um, oh, I thought Real Woods did. Shows what I know. Nope. Uh, I don't. So Real Woods lost to Decatur in the semis. And then Bravo Young beat 
kind of beat up on, I would say, to a certain extent. Um, oh, my God. That, I think that bracket might have – Nick Ramo is in that bracket, too, who's also a Fargo champ. I forgot about him. Jeez. Wow. So uh, Bravo Young beat up on Ramo in the semis, and then he beat up on Decatur in the finals. Uh, tough as nails on top. And Bravo Young's from Arizona, right? Arizona. He's two-time double Fargo champ, so he's already got four cadet titles to his name. Uh, he was really impressive. I mean uh, – Probably the most in cadet? Who I don't – you know what? I don't – I wouldn't say that Yanni was – I would say Yanni or Jacob Warner were the most impressive. Um you know, Warner won the 187 bracket, which I talked about. That was tough. And then Yanni won 138. And obviously, Yanni's a, uh, a defending cadet world champion. Um, he can wrestle everywhere. I mean, he's he's outstanding. You know, another guy that's a stud, Vito Arugia. Uh I actually put a technique up on my Facebook page that he was – Tommy, he was doing some sneaky stuff. You want to hear about this? Yeah, let okay. me hear. So he shoots – I think high- it's Aerojow, by the way. Arugia. I don't know. <laughs> you think it's Jaden though, so what do you know? Uh, well, you he know? can be whatever he wants at this point. Sure. Uh, okay, so Tommy, <laughs> he, it looks like he shoots a high crotch, right? But he misses the leg, okay? Okay. So he comes around the back, body locks him for four points. Now, I'm like, holy crap, that was, that was pretty innovative. Like, you know, he just made something out of nothing. Well, he does right. the same thing three more times in the match and scores off it again. So he was purposely shooting past the leg, and then the guy, uh, who was the guy? Oh, Sammy Sasso, who's a stud, was kind of like freezing on the sprawl, and as he froze, Arugia was coming around the back and setting himself up to score. It was very creative, innovative, and you, you know me. I, I love innovative techniques. Um, so uh, Absolutely, man. man. How could you not? Yeah. Especially at that age. You know what I mean? It just shows the way that they view and approach the sport if they're they're experimenting at that age. Yeah, so I would say... Uh, if you haven't seen a bunch of those matches, hop on floor. There was some great stuff. You know, in the university division, I don't get as excited because these guys are already established, but there was a few weight classes. I'm going I'm to go two. There was two weight classes where it was really interesting, and that was Tyler Graff versus Zane Richards, and then Imar versus Cole, uh, Chase Marsteller. Um, Chance. Said Chase. Chance. Please, so uh, Richards. We wrote him off beginning of the year. We did. We did, 100%. But he's, he's, he's back. He's, he's, I don't know if he's back, but he's showing signs of resurrection. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? I talked to Scott Moore, who's the Lock Haven coach, and he had a lot of really good things to say about Chance's work ethic. So, you know, I don't know what he was doing at, uh, at OSU, but, you know, the coach at Lock Haven had a lot of things to say about his work ethic. But then my question is, if his work ethic is that good, how does he get that tired? How does it happen? Don't know. How? Well, I mean, a lot of it had to do with the weight cut, don't you think? No, we made weight the day before. Oh, you're he, talking no. about at universities. Yes, he made weight two days before because he made weight Friday night and he wrestled Imar on Sunday. I mean, listen, Tommy, watch the matches. He was exhausted. I mean, he was gassed. And I know Imar wrestles hard. I get that. I fully get that. But the first match especially – he was tired after the first three minutes. I mean, like, tired to the point where he was a shell of himself, you know, a shell of what he could be. So, you know, like I, I was kind of saying, if you really, if you're really working that hard, how can you be that bad of shape? I can see being, you know, if your body is maybe more explosive muscle type, it's hard to stay in great shape, but this is bad. I mean, Tommy, just watch the match. He was so exhausted. It was crazy. You know, it could just be he needs to learn how to wrestle the right style for, you know, not to get too technical, but some guys just get juiced quicker and they got to learn how to wrestle a style where they can burst and relax and burst and relax instead of grind, grind, grind. I don't know. I mean, not sure. Sure. Okay, Tommy. So, you know, the two weights I was interested in in the university division was Tyler Graff versus... Zane Richards and I'm and, and I'm our versus Chance Marstell because you know this is the first time we got to see Chance Marstell after he left Oklahoma State and uh, you frankly he looked really good but Tommy I can't figure this out I was talking well yeah him. and we 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 signed off on him we said sayonara Chase Marstell I mean Chance Marsteller in the beginning of the year we we thought he was done yeah you don't you don't see too many comebacks you know like 
like he's having right now where you kind of hit some bumps in the road and then bounce back. But, Tommy, here's the one thing I got to, I got to ask you is how does he get so tired? You know, I talked to Scott Moore, the Lock Haven coach. He said chances in. He's working hard. He's doing good things. But in the first match against IMR, and I know IMR brings it hard, but Chance was tired after three minutes. I mean, like, not like just a little bit tired. Like, he was exhausted to the point where a lot of the things he was doing in the second period were fairly ineffective. Well, I think, I think you know, and you could look at this a number of different ways, and I don't know the guy personally, but, you know, when you're a horse starting out, like at the high school level, and Chance Marsteller grew before everybody else grew, yep. <clears throat> you're kind of used to kind of controlling the tempo of the match and controlling the just the physicalness of the match. And then obviously when that evens out at the collegiate level and then beyond, some guys have a hard time handling somebody giving them the juice back. You know what I mean? And maybe it's something like that. You would think it's weight cutting, but you told me that um, you know they waited in the night before, so I, I can't really attribute it to that either. So not really yeah. sure, man. Yeah, I you know I I don't know what that's about, but that's I would say Chance can re- technically can wrestle from every every position, but he has to figure that piece out because. Uh, well, especially for the huge. collegiate level, collegiate I mean, level you, could, yeah. you could you could you could disguise it to some extent, not completely, but to some extent in the international styles, you can kind of cover it up. But the collegiate, you got no prayer if you can't figure that part out. Hundred percent. And right you now, know, but the, Scott he, Moore knows that he looks so. like a white or blue belt cardio wise. I mean, it, it's bad. <laughs> He's got to figure it out. Um, okay, and so the other one is Graf versus Richards, and I'll I'll tell you this: uh, this is going to be mean. But Graf's a choke artist. Oh my! God. End of the day, he—he, he, I mean, you know, he ran through the field, gets to the finals. He should, you know, Richards hasn't done an extensive amount of freestyle. Graf's been on the senior level now for uh, what two years? Yeah, and, and well, he good. has he had some big and wins, and uh, you know, so he should run through Zane Richards, and he finds really finds a way to lose is, is the way I see it. And um, obviously, if you think back to Tyler Graf's NCAA finals, he found a way to lose. He rode Ramos out the first 30 seconds and then freaking did a funk roll from bottom position. The one thing at that point in the match, that's the one thing you don't do. And this is coming from Funky Ben. You don't <laughs> funk roll. If you just rode the guy out for 30 seconds, you don't roll. You don't. You just keep standing up, keep standing up, keep standing up, get a stall And what call. was the score with Zane? Um, shoot, I have to look back, but I, I know he blew, I think he kind of blew him out in the first match. The second match was... Um, it was competitive for a while. Uh, or, I'm sorry. Graf was winning for a while, and then Richards came back and won. In the third match, I want to say Richards won. Um, well, actually, I didn't watch that one because my group left. We left. We had to go home. Um, but I think Richards won decisively. I'm going to look it up for you right now, Tommy. There we go. So, uh, But, yeah, Graf, uh, I don't know, blew it. So, Megalou, this is on the team. Gwizdowski's on the team. McIntosh is on the team. Kyvin Gatton's on the team. Uh, Adam Hall looked fantastic. He just mauled uh, Brandon Sorensen two in a row. Uh, I didn't even know he could still be university age. Yeah, when did he graduate? What, listen, that's what I said. He's 2010 he graduated, Tommy. Yeah, so <laughs> how did he do- – So I guess they, they extended it up to – Because I made the university team one year out of college, and I went to yeah. college for five years. So I know that there's a little bit of flexibility there, but I thought that was like the last chance. Well, last- so I guess they extended it to – 28 and i he was in some graduate classes of some sort last year so he was that basically eligible. means jv worlds i mean really i'm 28 you know some guys are i was done with my wrestling career by 28 a lot of guys i don't are. mean jv i don't mean jv derogatorily i was just shooting from the hip there but anyways well i said something yeah. mean you can say something mean too if you want <laughs> well i wrestled <laughs> i won the universe i was proud of that but i'm just saying it's it's if it's 28 and under, that's basically the senior level guys. Okay, so Graf wins 10-0 the first match. Richards wins 11-11 the second match. And then Richards wins 4-2 the third match. Wow. Yeah, wild one, right? Pretty interesting. Yeah, oh yeah, for so, sure. So, um, yeah, so that, that, man, that was a fun tournament. I'm excited to go back next year. Um, you know, I know my guys were younger. They're excited. They, they loved it. They love seeing the college guys. So they're pumped to go back. Uh, I will be there. Well, next year, let's make some plans. I don't like Akron, though. Why is it in Akron? Can it move? Yeah, I'm in. I mean, I'm from Ohio, and I don't like Akron. Akron doesn't, <laughs> Akron doesn't even have wrestling. Oh, I know, exactly. I, I, how do you think it got there? 
No idea. No idea. And no, I got to give USA Ohio some credit. USA Ohio wrestling, they, uh, they're a very organized group. So if they were behind it, I mean, that might have something to do with it, but maybe they could have it in Columbus or something. You know what I mean? They, I would love that. Yeah. Was, That'd be nice. I was not impressed by the scenery, uh, of Akron. Well, yeah, that's, I should have told you about this Italian. You know, I can't believe you didn't, you didn't tell me you were at in Akron until the day you were in Akron. <laughs> Well, you know. Hey, I'm in Akron. What are you up to? I'm busy. It's Akron. You know, no one's, like I said, no one's excited about Akron. Right. I tell you, Tommy, though, you know what the gimmick was in Akron that was pissing me off? There was so many coffee shops listed on my maps, and I would go there, and then it would just be non-existent. There would be nothing there. I'd be like, what the – I can't cuss on this. I don't want to cuss on this show. <laughs> We're family-friendly family entertainment. But, Tommy, it happened four times. Four times. Like, what the hell, Akron? Where'd you stay? So we got a home away. Steve, Christian Dude, Piles awesome. came over and visit. Doing VRBO tomorrow night in Nashville, Tennessee. It's awesome. So we got we had, what, nine people staying there. Uh, it cost $520 for both nights. So, you you know, you're looking at we would have had to get three to four hotel rooms mm-hmm. uh, to sleep comfortably. And we, we got to stay in a home away. Very nice. Recommended. Uh, I told Piles is going to try to steal my space for next year because he was hanging out with the biker gang at the freaking Red Roof, uh, smoking some doobies probably. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going to try to steal my place next year, but Piles, I got it unlocked, baby. There you go, man. Love it. All right. So that's Akron. We got the World Cup this weekend. That'll be fun. Excited for that. I'm really excited, excited for and it. And it's live on Flow, so I, I'm going to try to. You know, I don't got much going on this weekend, so I will definitely. Um, Definitely be trying to watch a, a decent amount of that. I don't know if you got you got four kids, so you probably have no free time ever. No, I got none. I just had a softball doubleheader, and then I, I I'm not complaining though. I'm going to the country music fest in Nashville for the weekend. My wife wow. and I, was, so I can't complain too much. But yeah, I'm mostly busy around the clock, man. Look at you, Tommy. Country music. You're you're dude. You're three years away from that. Your kids are just so young now that uh, they don't have a schedule. Their schedule is yours, you know. So you yeah. have to bring them with you everywhere. Yeah, but they don't right. have their own activities. You're right. You're right. It's gonna hit the fan soon here, man. You better <laughs> be ready. Uh, okay. So let's go. Let's go. Let's talk. You said you were gonna lead the discussion now. You know, truth be told, I've tried with two different professional wrestling promotions. Yeah, I mean, First it's weird for me to lead the discussion no, not with all of your experience. Well, you know, my experience is not good because I've, I've failed twice, essentially. Lost money. Um, but I gave it a whirl, I'm learning. And, you know, it still is kind of – it's not in my immediate plans to do it again, but it is definitely in my long-term plans to figure out how the F to get a successful professional – wrestling platform in america uh i think it's gonna be vital to the continuation of the sport and vital to growing the senior level athletes so let's hear what you got to say obviously i'll give my feedback and uh and we'll hopefully come up with some good answers and then i was actually thinking that maybe next week we could bring my man gerald briscoe on the show and if you don't know gerald briscoe was a amateur wrestler at the university of oklahoma state and uh, he went on to a long and distinguished career in professional, you know, WWE wrestling, and now he's kind of an advisor type for that company. So he he'd be a very interesting person to have on to talk about this topic. No, I think that'd be great. And it's the off season, so this is good stuff to talk about because yeah. it's it's interesting. But we're not skipping the previous week's duels or the upcoming matches or anything like that to discuss it. So I think it's a good time here to talk about it. I mean, I think. You know, more than me saying what pro league would work, because I have no idea, I have no experience based it off of. I just, I guess I want to make a couple points to start off, Ben. Go. Is Go that, on. and some of them are obvious, but I just want to say it. You know, if you want to start a pro wrestling league and you want it to be successful, the number one priority should be to make money. Well, you have to, because when you lose money, you have it, it to sucks. make money. So the, the, the big disconnect, I think, is that the assets, being the athletes the athletes are the assets they make the league work they draw attention to it their value in the marketplace for camps clinics and things like that sometimes in many ways exceed what you could pay them to compete in a gym or online so their their value of themselves their perceived value of themselves to me is a direct correlation of what they're compensated for a day's work at a camp, but you know what? Some people would pay a hundred bucks to 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 have Logan Steber teach 
for two two-hour sessions in a day and you can get 100 people to come, bing, bang, boom, you give the host clinician three grand, you make seven, and you're on your way. But yep. those same people won't pay $100 to watch Logan Steve or Tech fall some guy. Nope. And so if the athletes really truly want to – be compensated their market value. Their market value is what people are willing to pay. Yeah, and you know, obviously, in in my experience, so I'll just go for from Agon. They threw a lot of money at it right away, and they lost a lot of money really fast. And that you know, and they thought that was the way to go. And I'll tell you, they they threw me a big number at Agon one, and I would have wrestled for significantly less because I see the value in what they're doing, and I love the sport. Obviously, but you're you're the exception. I might be the exception. Then. Because I think that you and, and I'm crediting you. You see the big picture, um, so I think that we can't take your opinion and say that all athletes think that way. Well, yeah, and so that was going to lead me to my next point. In in Flow Season One uh, FPL, you know the the program I pitched Martin on was uh, a more restricted budget because if we don't lose that much money, then we'll be able to last a little longer, and you know, and then eventually I think build a following and then have something. And I'll tell you, uh, Martin wanted the stars, and I had a very hard time getting the stars. Because we don't have a lot of stars in America, right? In wrestling, uh, probably ten that are real stars. Maybe, and maybe that's over exaggeration. Maybe there's only really five stars. But for the amount of money I was offering, they they just like you said, they weren't really that interested, and um, they thought it was too low. But I said, hey, this is the budget I promised Martin. This is the budget I have to stick to, and I'm sorry, but uh, you know, if I if we can make it. One or two or three years down the road, and I can pay you more money. I would love. There's nothing more I would love than to pay you. Of course, of more course. Money. So you know, they just, they just, you know, if they want it to work, and they might not want it to work, but, but it's, you know, they ha- they're going to be paid less to put it all on the line, way less than the, what they would be paid to teach a single leg, and because yeah. there's 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 more value in teaching a single leg for four hours to a hundred kids. Than a hundred kids watching you crush somebody, yeah, and but, and so I guess the point I'm getting at is that your market value is what people are willing to pay you to do something, and and that's that. That's just yeah. it, you know. And 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 most people are going to pay you. To, they want to turn a profit. They they want to or at least break even. And so if you're going to start a pro league. The bottom line has got to be the driving factor. Maybe not in the first event or the, even the first year, but ultimately you're building this business. It's a for-profit business. It needs to yield, you know, dividends for the shareholders or shareholder. Eventually, that is what that is what happens in business. That's what happens in commerce. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting to the punchline of my plan because my plan's not that detailed. But that's the premise, and I think that if you were involved in a league, if you were starting a little mini league, that would need to be the the discussion with the athletes. Is like I'm going to pay you what I think I can pay you, and still you know break even this year or yeah. lose a, lose a little bit so that I have a platform to make money next year. But I'm not slapping you in the face by offering you three to show and three to win, or maybe it's less than that, maybe it's more than that. I don't know. Yeah, but and I'm, so one of the other issues I ran into. Uh, in my in my time at FPL trying to get people to sign up was, uh, you know, it's just not high on their priority list. You know, in addition to the money thing is that they have this USA Wrestling schedule and um, they've they see that as important. And so, for I'll give you a for example, and I won't tell you the name here, but but I was trying to get someone to do a match, and I said I'll give you fifteen hundred dollars flat, right? And they said, well, I have to wrestle in Dave Schultz, and I said, well, if you win the Dave Schultz. You win fifteen hundred dollars, like that's your prize money. I know that because I, I I won it a few years ago. Listen, here you come here, you get it guaranteed. You win, lose, or draw, you got one match, you get fifteen hundred bucks. If you win the Schultz, you get fifteen hundred dollars. But I couldn't convince this person that they should do an FPL match because this person valued the tournament and the experience they were going to get at the Dave Schultz more than than the pro league. So that's you know that's another obviously the money thing is one issue, but then also. Finding time. The dis- they they feel that it is possibly depending on scheduling and who they're going to wrestle and what the dynamics are that it would be a distraction or it would deter from their training regimen. Yeah, you know, hundred percent. And they, so they put more value in those 
USA Wrestling events or, or the international tours put way more value in that. So, you know, and that's, this is a thing where I think you're going to have to get a handful of like-minded people involved so they, they, you know, they kind of build up the value themselves. And then it's going to take two or three or four or five years, right, to get – I mean, it, you know, if you look at a similar business, the UFC, the UFC started in 93 and lost millions of dollars until it was bought by the Vertitas in, what, 2002? They, and, they bought it for two, and, that's, and they, they put tens of millions, what, 30, 40, 40, 40 million. I think, 40 roughly, yeah. So they're like $44 million in debt. They're ready to pull the plug, and then the ultimate fighter happens, and it was the tipping point financially for the organization. Yeah, and, and so, you know, really, but then even then when they buy it in 02, so, this, so the business has been around nine years. When they buy it in 02, they still struggle and struggle and struggle. And I think it's, what, 05, 06, I believe, is when tough hit, and then they started to pop. But I mean, so we're we're talking thirteen, fourteen years down the road before the UFC makes it right. And right. I, you know, I know Bellator being around. I know Bellator is very much the same story. They lost. I was there in those first years. There was in a few of the shows. There was like three hundred people in the stands. Right. Right. And uh, we were we were and and I know that it was a pay by. You know what a pay by is when when no. you actually pay the <laughs> channel to be on. So they were paying Fox Sports to be on that channel. Amazing. I mean, you know, World Series of Poker did the same thing way back when. Um, they paid to have their airtime until they proved they could get the ratings, and then and then, and then yeah. and, you know, and then obviously, and then ESPN paid them. But so you know, they're betting on themselves. But I mean, so which is pretty cool. Which is pretty, yeah, it's pretty freaking cool. But so uh, that's business, man. That's just freaking. I like that. That stuff yeah. motivates me. I like hearing those stories. Yeah. So I mean, but so with this UFC or Bellator, it took years for them to be profitable. So. You know, uh, a wrestling business is not going to be profitable. And obviously, in the two experiences I had, it was not profitable in year one, right? It's going to take a few years for the branding and everything else to catch on. So, Tommy, I'm going to pitch you, since we're on this topic, I, I've had to say. No, I like, I like it this way as opposed to just talking about a specific plan. Let's just talk about. Well, I want to, talk, I want to tell you my specific plan. I want to, you tell me what you think. Okay. Ready? I'm ready, man. Okay. I think you do uh, a T, and I think Willie's talked about this a little bit. Kyle Dake might have mentioned something, um, but I, you know, I've had I talked to Chael about this plan maybe in February or March. Uh, I think you have a team format based on the the regional training sites. So I think, and then you start the first season, you do it in the fall, so you're right after the World Championships before all the important fall tours kick off. Right. right? You do an eight team league. Two 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 leagues of four. You wrestle around Robin. You wrestle two out of the four teams from the other league. So you got five matches. Whoever's got the best record wrestles in the Super Bowl, right, or whatever the hell you call it. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I think right away you could do like Minnesota could put a pretty good team together. Iowa could, Nebraska could, and probably Northwestern Illinois, or maybe maybe they combine to make an Illinois team, right? Right, and, on, and then well, at this point, Arizona could. Well, yeah, but okay, so I'm I'm thinking travel, right? I'm, th- I'm thinking, thinking you're trying to save costs. Save costs, 100. percent I'm I'm even thinking you could like if you really want to save money, you could you know have them do it double up so they do two of the matches in one weekend or you know something to yeah. that effect. Um, and then you go on the other side of you know of that, and then you got Michigan's got a good RTC, Ohio State's got a good RTC, Penn State's got a good RTC. And Cornell's got a good RTC, right? So there, there's right. four good ones right there. Uh-huh. So you go, you go four and four. You got two weeks of four. So, you, so the guys are going to get six matches, and maybe you do it over the course of a month or six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do a winner, and I think production has to be a huge part of it. And then obviously, you know, I, I would say, and I could be biased, I think flow, flow 100% has to be involved. Um, I think, I think that it, it, the pro league and wrestling, if and when. It becomes successful. It will be born from the streaming, not from television. Well, that's where everything's going. I mean, right? Exactly. Those I mean, huge so- statistics about ESPN came out. They've just lost millions of viewers. Uh, and then Netflix. I can't remember. I saw. I just saw the stat on Netflix this morning. How many? I, they've like tripled. Or it's something insane, Tommy. It's like thirty million to seventy-five million since they started doing original live streaming of their mm-hmm. own shows. Right. I mean, so yeah. So obviously. Internet streaming is where it's at. Everything's going to go there in what five to ten years. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's we're not far away. No, we're definitely I mean, not. I remember when someone who's very, very 
entrenched in the media business, multimedia business, told me that cable is going to die. And this person told me this like five years ago. And I start to see that maybe that's possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think uh, I think you're right on. I think I think it's going to happen. I, Tommy, I my wife watches TV, but I very rarely turn the TV on. I mean, maybe for a, a fight or something. Because you got everything you need. On my computer, I got everything yeah. I need. I mean, I can I can go to Flow, watch matches. I can go to an MMA website and find something there. I can go to YouTube, find something there. Uh, I watch Muhammad Ali videos all weekend. By the uh, way, on YouTube. I was so sad. Well, no, I take that back. I wasn't that sad, Tommy. I'll tell you my Muhammad Ali story. Muhammad Ali was like my hero growing uh-huh. up. In 2010, my wife was working at a high-end sushi restaurant called Sushi Roku in Arizona. And she called me. She said, Ali's here. You have to come. That's your hero. I said, all right. So I, I showed up. He was eating dinner with his wife. And uh, I kind of sat at the bar. I, you know, I felt really weird about bothering him, right? But this is my – I mean, literally, Tommy, my idol. This is who I looked up right. to. Um and they're kind of like flipping through this picture book, and you can—they're not having a lot of conversation. You know, you can tell maybe he's not all there. But so you know, I say, listen, this is the guy I looked up to. I have to go say hi to him. You know, so I go say hello to his wife, and I said hi. I'm Ben Askren. Uh, you know, I've looked up to Muhammad Ali since I've been freaking ten years old. I made the Olympics. Blah 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 blah. Right. And, uh, you know, and Ali's kind of looking at me. And Tommy, I'll tell you, there wasn't a lot there. Just looking, looking at his eyes, you know. Uh huh. And I just had my grandfather actually had had Parkinson's or a form of Parkinson's. So you're familiar with it. So I'm familiar with it, and you know, really for the last ten years and, and the last five years, he didn't know. He no idea who I was, <laughs> not not a clue. Didn't know where he right. was, you know. And so he passed a year ago. So it was almost like it was almost like a relief, just like okay, now you can be at peace, um, right? Kind right. of thing. And so that's kind of I feel like probably. And I think one of his daughters said that it's like finally he can be. Uh, be at peace. Right. right. Hey, that's kind of an interesting segue to what we're talking about. Tommy, we need a freaking Muhammad Ali in our pro league is what we need. That's exactly a what Conor we McGregor, need. Conor McGregor. Like, if you will. I watched videos of, of this guy all weekend. It's not like I didn't know who he was, but I feel like I learned about Muhammad Ali at another level this weekend. Yeah. I was sitting around in my house. I probably watched 30 videos of him, fights and interviews and yeah. this. And I've heard all these stories. And the guy was just polarizing. Oh, my God. Yeah. First of all, I feel I've never seen someone that's looked so much faster than all of their opponents on a regular basis in any sport <laughs> at any era than Muhammad Ali. Ridiculous. Right? Um, unbelievable. But just he was such a cultural icon and he was principled because, you know, I mean, you could uh, – he he dodged the giraffe. He, um, you know – He didn't dodge is a moose. He, well, okay, so so but people say that place. he did. Yeah, yeah. Correct. So yeah. that's what I'm that's what I'm getting at. That yeah. You're exactly right. You know, he's a, he's a Muslim, which is kind of you know not taboo, but it's not as common in the U.S. as it as it is Christianity Especially is. So this 60s. guy, this guy is he's a lot of he's a lot of things that America is not on paper, but he is so American because this guy is one of the most principled people. That I've ever listened to in my life, and I didn't agree with everything that he said, but I love his conviction, and he's just a real guy. Yeah, I and mean, the thing about the draft is that if he just says, "Yeah, I'll go," you know, "Yeah, I will enlist," they're going to give him the Joe Lewis treatment. He's going to go around, sign some autographs, shake some hands, and they're going to let him continue his career as is, right? And whether, like you said, whether like you said, whether you agree with what his principles are or not, he lost three and a half years. Of the best uh, time of his career, making I mean, millions of dollars. And all you do is say, yeah, I'll go to the draft. And then they say, okay, shake some hands, exactly some autographs, right. and you can continue your career. No big deal, right? But he gives it up because that's what he believes in. And you got to respect that. You have to respect someone who's willing to sacrifice everything they have for what they believe in. Absolutely. The way, the way that he talked about civil rights um, was fiery. And real, and I just I enjoyed listening to the guy. I, I enjoy watching him fight. Obviously, that's what he's known for in terms of that's what got him to to the platform that he had. But the man was he was real. I mean, that was a, that's a real dude. When you listen to him, he's real, and um, I really admire that about him. Yeah, hundred percent. I can't believe guy. we went from talking about a pro wrestling league to Muhammad Ali well, tribute. We can, we can but, get back to the we can, you know no one made a million dollars in boxing until Muhammad Ali. He changed the sport forever. He changed, changed sports. Changed forever. 
sport. Yeah, he changed sports. I mean, just the way people did interviews, the way the media interacted. Um, there's a really great book about how him and Howard Cosell interacted. It's fantastic. You should check it out. Uh, I, I'm more than happy to read it. Yeah. Did you, do you know you you probably know this because he's your hero, but. The story, uh, what's my name? Story. Oh God, yeah, uh, incredible. Cleveland Williams, right? I believe Ernie Terrell. Ernie Terrell. I think there was two of them. Houston, and yeah, so he switches his name to Muhammad Ali, and Ernie Terrell finds out that you know if you call him Cassius Clay, he doesn't like it. So throughout the whole fight promotion, he's calling him Cassius Clay. Muhammad Ali's like, you gotta say my name, and he's like, I'm not. I'm gonna call you Cassius Clay. I'm gonna call you Cassius Clay. Your name is Cassius Clay. It ain't Muhammad Ali. And uh, at the very last press conference, Muhammad Ali said, "I'm gonna get you. To, you're gonna say my name by the end of this fight." And um, this is this is like factual information. Hundreds of people can yeah. attest to this oh, at yeah. the ringside. They said he said what he would punch Ernie Terrell, and then and he'd say, "What's my name?" And he said it over 300 times in the fight. And then in like the 12th round, Ernie Terrell was getting ready to go down on the ropes and Muhammad Ali lifted him up and said, you're going to go down when I'm, when I'm ready to take you down. And, uh, he said, what's my name? And he kept hitting him in the face, hit him in the face. And he would never say it. And then the final round, he said, Muhammad Ali, you're Muhammad Ali. <laughs> I was like, you know, that is a freaking insane story. Brutal, right? Unbelievable. I mean, that's a competitor. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was all about respect for him. hundred percent. Yeah. That's a, that's a wild story. I mean, the the furor that drove. I mean, when he chose to to change his name and become a Muslim, I mean that that was like in the '60s, in the '60s in America, and then just I mean, not only that, but a black man just standing up for himself and speaking out in America in the '60s. I mean, my God, Ben. There's this interview, and it, like I said, I don't necessarily agree with everything that he says. But I also don't disagree, if that makes sense. Yeah, any sense? I get you. He's just—I I just respect his principled manner, and and it's authentic and it's real, and I can tell that the guy means business. But he's people. His people are asking him why he's not gonna fight in Vietnam. He's like, why would I go uh, shoot up and murder some people that have never never opposed me? They've never they've never uh, taken food out of my mouth. They've never done this. They've never done that. And then this this white reporter kept grilling. Him. He said, "You're my opposer." You're, you're my opposer when I want justice. You're my opposer when I want freedom. You're my opposer when I want a job. You're my opposer when I want to get the front of the bus. And he's this, he's saying it with this fire. And it's like this is a black man in the 60s. Yeah. This is not today. This is a black man in the 60s, and he's just t- telling people like it is in ways that I guess I just never really heard that at that time when I when I watched these videos. And I just really respected how he was about that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I remember I remember the interview also, and it's. Uh... Yeah, I mean, you know, the other famous story, obviously, is that he came back from winning gold in, in the Olympics in 1960, and he went down to Louisville to eat at some restaurant, and great. they wouldn't let him sit there. And yeah, and this is still there's there's a lot of debate over whether this is fact or fiction. You know, where they made the story up for, uh, but you know, he got so mad he went and threw his uh, gold medal in the Olympic uh, the Olympic gold medal in the Ohio River. So you know that's. And you know he is right. In the '60s, it was the racism was off the chart. It was ridiculous. It's almost hard to believe that was like two generations ago. I mean, you know, our parents grew up in that. No um, kidding. And obviously, unbelievable. Not saying that racism doesn't exist in America today, but uh, we've came a long way since the '60s. I mean, it, uh, that was some tough times right there. No doubt. We oh. just went off track, but that's <laughs> what we're made of. That's what we do. That's all right. Yeah, it was good time. I love, I so can, let's get back to pro pro okay, pro. Wrestling. So we need a Muhammad Ali. So I'll, I'll tell you what what you need. You need buy-in from the athletes. You know, you need buy-in from. I've thought about this. I'm just gonna put my ideas out there. You know who I love besides Muhammad Ali? A guy named Elon Musk. You know who that is? No, it sounds like a deodorant or something. Oh, you gotta, Tommy. You gotta. This guy's fantastic. He's the guy that started Tesla, and he's also running SpaceX, and he's uh. What is the? What Doesn't it sound like a deodorant? Like I, I want to get some bit, Elon Musk. Okay. Okay. So he started these companies. So so Tesla is the all electric car, and it's I fantastic. Got it yep. And so and then he started SpaceX because he wants to send stuff to outer space and and stuff. Um, but then he started this. I'm God. I'm trying to find the name. I'm blanking on it right now. What is the damn name of the? What's the little tube that shoots you like 800 miles an hour from LA to? Uh, San Francisco. Hyperloop? The Hyperloop. Thank you. Okay. So, yeah, he, so he creates page. this Hyperloop, Tommy. Gotcha. And what he does is he says, I don't care about making money off this. 
I want this to come to fruition because it'll help humanity. So he open sourced the patent so anyone can see his patent and steal it. That's amazing. That's freaking crazy, isn't it? That's a good dude. Okay, so you know, you know, I'm gonna open. You're gonna open source your stuff. You know who you need to get to buy in for this pro league to work? Who? Guess. Come on. I'll give you three guesses. Arthur Martori. No. Guess again. Am I warm? No. Ice cold. Aye. (laughs) Aye. Um. Dan Grable. That'd be fantastic, but no. If it if it was forty years ago, then yes, but no. So am I warm on Grable? If it was forty years ago or fifty years ago, forty. Kill Sanderstein. No, <laughs> Jordan freaking Burroughs. Well, yeah, because I mean, he's the leader, right? He's the leader. He's essentially what you're saying. He's the leader in the locker room. If he leads, yeah, America, he's the guy. People will follow. So you need to get Jordan Burroughs to buy in one way or the other. Whether you get him. Give him equity in the business. Well, he's, if he know. believed in the business plan, he would accept an equity position and make it go. Something like that. I mean, because he, he's the leader in the clubhouse. Uh, I mean, he's the guy that everyone listens to and looks to for advice. He's the man. And obviously, he's the most recognized. I can't believe I didn't figure. even. I'm, I'm embarrassed that I didn't think of Burroughs. Uh, embarrassed. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if you give him an equity position. But obviously, I you know, I firmly believe in, in this idea that, that America has to have a pro wrestling league. India has one. Iran has one. Why can't America have one, right? So, uh, yeah, I think you get, I think one of the things you have to do, obviously getting flow on board is well, a huge one, like we said. I think you got to get Burroughs involved. I think he has to be bought in. Um, with- I, think, I think you need a long-term investor that's kind of like Elon Musk-ish, Ben. Yeah. That maybe thinks like you but has Elon Musk money, if that makes any sense. I don't have Elon Musk money. You know, did you, so you know what else about Elon Musk while we're talking about great well, Americans? 12.3 bill. I'm okay. seeing that. But so he his initial business, Tommy, was PayPal, uh-huh. right? And he sold out, and I want to say he made 200 mil, $250 million. And usually when someone at that point is they go get investments from other places, right? He put all of his money into Tesla and SpaceX to the point where there was a point where everyone thought he was just going to crash and go bankrupt. And uh-huh. it was, I think it was the fourth time they tried to launch. So he, the thing with his rockets is they can launch and land so he can use them more than once. Uh-huh. And the first three crashed. And the fourth one, he had a successful test and his freaking stock price for SpaceX shot through the roof and all of a sudden he was you know, he was worth a billion dollars again <laughs> as opposed to zero or Couple you know bill. <laughs> whatever it whatever it was, something to that. Yeah, know. he seems brilliant. Holy cow. Brilliant. So uh yeah, so I think I think you need Flo involved. I think you need Jordan Burroughs involved. And then the other thing, you know, and hopefully we can talk to Jerry Briscoe about this next week. I'm, I'm By the way, I, I haven't said this, but I like everything you're saying. I, Sweet. I completely support it, yeah. So maybe maybe someone listens to this and we get an I can't find or, anything to argue with you about, so I feel uh, bad about that. We need wrestlers to have personalities and do a little trash talking. And Tommy, we do. I tried do. to get them. Listen, I, when I wrestled Quentin Wright at Aegon on 1, I tried to get him to talk trash with me. And he, well, to, to be I was fair, Ben, I think he I was, tried. No, 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 no. I was throwing him softballs. And then I told him when I saw him, I said, listen, kid, when I throw you a softball, you hit it out of the freaking park. Because I, I, was, I was sending him tweets to where I left myself pretty open to him smashing me, you know? Uh-huh. Because I thought that would make people pay attention, right? But he wouldn't take any of the bait. And so uh, – um, you know, I think you need, and and that's what obviously what de- one of the things WWE does is they ha- they teach these guys to speak, and they're all they're all amazing, fantastic speakers, and that draws the audience in. I mean, I was just talking to, uh, oh, I was on my MMA podcast talking about freaking my wife watching The Bachelor and how that show getting millions and millions and millions of viewers every week is like right. blows my mind. It's a garbage every time I walk in and I see like three minutes of it. I'm like. This show disgusts me. But there's something people love about gossip, about drama, and that's what you can create through a microphone. No doubt. No so doubt. Maybe we bring Jerry Briscoe in to teach people. But the wrestler's got to be a little okay with saying, listen, I get it. And that's even you know me. I, I'll open the book right here. I, uh, you know, I play a personality in certain times of my MMA career. And if you catch me at the Wrestling Academy, I'm a completely different person. I don't act like that at all. 
But I understand what makes people pissed or what makes people feel certain emotions to where they're going to say, I want to see that guy get his ass kicked. And that's right. why they tune in to watch because they want to see me get my ass kicked. And I'm okay with that because whether they tune in to see you win or whether they tune in to see you lose, the fact is they're tuning in and that's what makes the promotion go. Okay, so I think we're, we've been going for a long time. I don't even know how long we've gone between both I think, uh, uh, call recordings. but <laughs> I think we're, we're about 45 to 50 minutes right now. Okay, so I wanted to – this is a little bit more of the nerdy side of getting a pro wrestling lead to work. It's not Let's about the it. athletes. It's just about running the business. But from my observations, whether it be um, – uh, what was the acronym for the Flow Pro League or what was it called? FPL, Flow Premier League. FPL, Agon. I was not involved in either one of those promotions. But I think that you need a costing system where you know your costs going into each event and it's not, an, and it's not, a, it's not a fluent um, thing where you, you like jump from one lily pad to the next where – you're promoting this event. You don't know what your costs are going to be. You don't even know who's going to wrestle in it. you got to scramble around, figure out a way to pull that off. That event ends. It concludes. You get the feedback. You can go to the next one. I know that that's how boxing and MMA works to some extent, but I think that if we built a business where I know that I'm going to have 11 events this year and I know that my cost all in is ranging approximately from 15 to 25 grand Per event, which means that I've got to sell. That's on the very low end. Yeah. Okay. I don't even know the numbers, but whatever they are, yeah. that's 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 not the point. The sure. point is, is that when you know your costs for each event for the season, you know the revenue that you have to get to, let's say, let's say break even. That might be sure. a a pretty damn good goal for the first year. I don't even know if it's attainable. Yeah. But you can build businesses. You can put in like a pro forma or a business plan where you know what you're getting yourself into. I think investors would bite at that. And I think also who would bite at that is that instead of negotiating with athletes event by event, you can hold a draft that the athletes can choose to enter in or not. At the beginning of the season, you hold a draft, and depending on your draft position is what you're paid. Yeah. And so so, so – you, if you choose to enter this draft, you're signing over, I want to enter the draft. If I'm drafted, I will participate. You're signing on this dotted line. And then depending on your draft position, we'll, we'll, pre, we'll pre-post it. Hey, man, if you're drafted first, you're getting X per event or for the year or whatever it is. That way the athletes know what, they, what they're signing themselves up for and they have to accept. And then the promotion, the people, the, the people running the business, they know, all right, we're all in. For 1.3 million this season, which means that we've got to get 1.3 million in sales. How do we do that? And if we don't do it, okay. So realistically, we can only get 600,000 in sales. That means that we'll be 700 in the hole going into year two. Let's put a five-year plan together. Let's go to all the biggest and baddest wealthy people that attribute wrestling to their success and get them to buy into this for five years. And they're kind of Elon Musk style, open source. Let's let's make this thing work. Let's monetize wrestling for the first time ever. Really? Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. You know, um, a couple more things. But while while we're nailing this down, we're kind of writing a business plan here on our podcast. Someone open says, source. Open Elon source Musk. This is like the hyperloop of pro wrestling. Sure. Um, obviously, you know, with the team concept. I you know and I don't know I, I kind of looked into franchising of leagues but I didn't you know, didn't go deep is like you know there's there and well to tell you the truth there's a lot of different ways you could do it but I mean one thing that I was thinking is interesting is you could have the teams pay the athletes and then let the teams keep the gates for you know for their events right so then they're motivated to to spend their effort selling tickets and because right. they're in their area they're more likely to sell the tickets right Correct. as opposed Correct. to like a nationwide promotion. and they just know the nuances they yes. have the ins and outs they know, you know a team might know hey if i can it sounds silly but hey if i can call uh you know wadsworth high school they've got like 400 people that go to their duels i could probably sell 250 tickets by going to talk to them you know and yeah. the, the the league the the over you know the overarching league won't know that you know what i mean yeah i mean so I, I think that's one really good idea to to help, and that also obviously if the teams are paying, right? If the teams are paying the athletes, 
then then that takes some of the burden off of the league. Um, the other thing there is, you know, if you get a couple sponsorships, do you get a sponsor that covers the whole league, or do you let the teams get their right. own sponsors? I would say, you know, I don't know how much you're going to get from a sponsor to cover the whole league, and obviously you could do them in different categories. But uh, um, and maybe you could do some of both, so that way, if you know, maybe just this team, maybe the Finger Lakes Training Center has someone big that supports them, and they want to put their business logo on the singlets, they can do Correct. that. Right? Well, I wouldn't do singlets; I would do fight shorts, compression top, future so wrestling. Um, so yeah, so I, th- I think I think that's a you know a couple interesting thoughts on on if the team aspect. And I'm not; I was obviously kind of against the team thing when I ran FPL. I thought I thought the individual thing was the way to do it. Um, obviously, that's been tried a few times; hasn't worked. I'm I'm for giving the team thing a run right now. I think that's probably the next one. Next one, hell, you know, like my wrestling, Tommy. This is why I sucked for a while before I got good because I just kept throwing shit at the wall. And something here's the thing: something's going to stick eventually if you try enough time. I, I do believe it's going to happen. I can't say it's going to happen next year. Uh, it probably won't. I believe in my lifetime it's going to happen because you think about let's let's just let's just break it down, Ben. I mean. On Facebook, when you post your technique videos, sometimes you get over a hundred thousand views. Yeah. Now you're not charging anybody for those views, but is it is it is it unrealistic to think that we can stream a dual meet with America's best athletes and get ten thousand people to pay ten bucks? To me, that is practical. I don't yeah. know how to figure. I don't know how to do it tomorrow, but that is very practical. I'm sure it's been done on certain events with Flow Wrestling. I'm sure it's been done. Yeah. And so. How do we consolidate all of that stuff that we've already done in wrestling into one monetized, profit-generating league for our athletes, for our fans? I think it's going to be done in my lifetime. I really yeah. believe that. And you know, the other thing that's on, that's on our side, obviously, is that uh, you know I don't know if you know this fact, but the, the most literally, do you know what the most valuable thing on earth today is? Time. No, well, yes, but no. That's I was right, by the way. That's absolutely <laughs> the most <true>. valuable thing <laughs> on on planet Earth today is live sports content. Everyone else TiVo's everything, yes, Tommy, but right. people is, watch is, sports live, and uh, so which means obviously they, because they're watching it live, they have to watch the commercials. Advertisers are happy with that. That's what they want. Um, so the most valuable thing on the planet today is sports. I mean, I'm just looking right now. National Football League, thirteen billion. Major League Baseball, nine and a half billion. Premier League Soccer, three point four billion. National Basketball League, four point eight billion. National Hockey League, three point seven billion. Right, uh, and then there's all these soccer leagues, which if I just listed them off, you wouldn't know what the hell they were worth billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, UFC four bill, or at least three, right? At least three. Well, someone someone's bidding on them, so uh, right. you know they're they're a private entity, so they don't have to. They don't. Their numbers are not actually on this list I'm looking at right now because I don't believe right. they release their numbers. Right. So. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's on our side. So you know, I think we had a lot of good ideas here. I want to get Jared Briscoe, and and maybe he could even possibly take us through the history of you know how the WWE became what it is today because it wasn't always that way. And if you go far enough back, it was all one, right? When you go far enough back, it was catch as catch can, which means you know George Hackenschmidt and the freaking Russian Lion, and it's you get two submissions or you get two pins, and the match is over. Right. And so and then obviously sometime in the what I think forties I believe it starts they start diverging to where the pro leagues do they, they have the real match. So they have a real match, but it's done backstage. And so the winner is the winner is picked by who wins the real match backstage. Kinda cool. And then they go out and, and they, they you know, they hype it up a little bit since the winner's already been picked, they they play it up and then and then obviously that goes more and more and more and then obviously now today they have predetermined outcomes. But you know, you look at freaking WrestleMania makes twenty million dollars in one weekend. Wrestling, there, there's not a wrestling. If you add up all the wrestling events in the history of the world, including the NCAA tournament, I don't know if they made twenty million dollars. Right. No, I'm with you. And you know, the other thing, the other point I wanted to make is that since we're starting from scratch, like we're we're taking two sticks and rubbing them together and making a fire, like that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's it's got to be a slow and steady drip. It cannot, it can't be something where you sell to investors or you even sell to the athletes or the community that it's going to be this amazing promotion, kind of like Real Pro Wrestling was. It's yeah. we are going to drip this into the wrestling community for five years before we say it's a success or a failure. 
Yeah. So that means after year one, you know, we're, we know 20% of the story. And that's what the people, if and when this does work, I feel like those, the people that are a part of it are going to have that mentality. Yeah. They're going to have that type of time. They're going to have that type of investment, whether it be emotional or money, whatever. They're going to have that type of passion to see it through because I think that's how it'll end up working. You know what I mean? 100%. Yeah, I agree. So I think we we discussed a lot of good things. Jordan Burroughs, let's get you on board, man. Let's do it. Completely agree with that. Uh, If you're an investor, call Tommy or I. Our numbers are not hard to find. Open source. It's Elon Musk Pro League. (laughs) <laughs> and it, you know, if you want to do this, if if someone out there wants to run a pro league, freaking go for it. I don't give a damn. Uh, listen, Tommy, I don't care if I ever make a cent off a of pro league in America. If there is a pro league in America that's successful, that's running, and that's paying athletes, I'm happy. I don't care if I make a dime or not. It's 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 true. I mean, there's for profit businesses in wrestling. In fact, I I'm, I'm involved in one, but there's never been a for profit business in wrestling from people wrestling which is the whole it's the it's the sport you know the sport itself has never made money and it would be monumental it would change the complexion of the sport in ways that we wouldn't be able to dream of it would change it so yeah in exactly in ways we wouldn't be able to i'm not going to try to describe the ways it would change the sport because you're right we it would change it in ways we can't dream of correct it'd be incredible Oh, we call the night. I'm gonna, I'm gonna call Jerry Briscoe see if we can't get him on the okay, show. Okay, let's week. do it, man. Let's keep it rocking. We can do a month long talk about this. Oh. I don't care. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe we'll get some interesting calls in the next week. Because I'll tell you when I when I was the commissioner of FPL, I would get some very interesting uh, messages and emails every once in a while. There there's a lot of people in America that are passionate, but like I said, no one's figured out how to do it successfully yet. Got it, man. That's so, a good way to end. All right, Tommy. I appreciate right, it. Let, uh, you have a great night. Thank you, Defense Soap, by the way. As always. Absolutely. Have a good one. You are listening to the T-Row and Funky Show brought to you by Defense Soap. Defend what you have built.